You're listening to Ramp, the Insight Squared podcast. This is Ramp, the SaaS analytics podcast brought to you by Insight Squared. Is your company addicted to Excel? Break the addiction with powerful sales performance analytics from Insight Squared. I'm your host, Kara Hogan, and today Sean Burke is standing up for the most underappreciated member of a SaaS team, the sales development rep. Sean is the CEO of KiteDesk, a Florida-based software platform that makes sales prospecting easier. He is a serial entrepreneur and has acted as a founder or as a core leadership team member in nine different early-stage companies across technology, financial services, and consulting. After nearly two decades of sales experience, Sean completely understands the struggle of SDRs, and his goal is to make their job easier. However, he had a very unusual start to his sales career. My first sales experience was actually after my house was robbed when I was uh, the young age of 12. We were actually in the house at the time that it occurred, and they broke into our basement, and we had some antiques down there, and they, they, were, they stole it. And my mother, because it had impacted her so much, we lived in the country, there was nobody around, and it was a little scary. She decided to go into the burglar alarm business because we bought a burglar alarm and she felt that everybody needs to have a burglar alarm, especially if you live in a country like us. She said to me, she's like, you know, Sean, I think this is, you're the age now. I had a job and she's like, I think you need to learn how to make money. And so she took me along with her and we sat in people's homes and she allowed me to be a part of it. And she taught me how to sell burglar alarms. And, you know, she'd work all day in the, um, in the home. And then at night when everybody was back home, she and I would go out on calls. And that was really my first experience in sales. So I started at the young age of 12. Sean has worked in a few more traditional sales roles, which strongly influenced his decision to join KiteDesk. I had just sold my last company and... I typically never have been good at working at large organizations. So I was doing a six month kind of transition period and I met the, the, the founders, really the technical founders of Kite Desk, Jared Rodriguez and Jack Kennedy. And they showed me this really early mock-up of what Kite Desk could be and where you could actually go to someone's website and see everybody that you knew that you were connected to at that website and could see how strong of a relationship you had with them. And I was hooked. I mean, literally, I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, I am totally in. I love this. And then the thing for me that was so compelling is that to sell to my kindred spirits, I was just like, awesome. Like, I love commuting with salespeople. Like, in any company that I go into... Um, and I actually was in your office like three weeks ago. The first place that I went to was I was hanging out with Paul and Daniel and your team in the BDRs. Like that's yeah. where I go. And I'm like, I am so lucky to be able to build software for people that I not only respect a ton, but I love spending time with. So it was like a no brainer. I'm in and um, I've never looked back. I mean, Kite Desk has been been awesome to work with this technical team. Plus, it's really cool to have an idea in your head about how to solve a problem. And then next thing you know, two weeks later, it's in the product. So it's been great. You were previously the CRO of Kite Desk, and you have transitioned to becoming the CEO. How did your priorities shift when you went from focusing 100% on sales to building the whole company? 
I really just reprioritized my workloads. You know, I was doing both sales and marketing in that role. So I hired some contractors to help us out with marketing that had a very unique skill set. And then I also brought on more salespeople with experience Mm -hmm. that could kind of be like a a team leader. And then that would allow me to do all of the, the work that I was doing as the CEO. But I will tell you, even during that time, it was still early days for us. I mean, we had maybe a handful of clients. Majority of my time was still spent selling. Right. There are a lot of CEOs out there that have actually made sales calls. Oh, yeah. No, I, I actually get on the phone blitzes with our sales team. And I wrote a blog post about it where I literally jumped on the, the call block with our sales team a couple of weeks ago and made outbound calls. And it is amazing the reception you get from someone who picks it up. And they're like, you're literally the CEO cold calling me. And I'm like, yep, I'm calling. You know, in our space, the further you get away from the actual work, the more disconnected you get from the problems that you're trying to solve. And so I'll get deep into the dirt as much as I possibly can to stay close to the people that we serve. Kite Desk's product serves one of the toughest roles in sales, the cold calling, outbound emailing sales development rep. Sean explained that everything he does is to make their job easier. You know, we focus on the people that prospect, right? So these people are doing outbound calls. It's extremely difficult. It's mentally difficult for them, right? So like there's a lot of rejection. It, 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 it's really tough for them to get through it. So for us, what we really focus on is helping them find the people that they want to sell to extremely quickly. So one of the benefits that you'd say about Kite Disc is just speed is we help you get or information you want about people extremely quickly. So wherever you're at, you know, one click away, you can see if they're in your CRM, you can get data on them. And we really help get them data on, on clients very quickly. Then the second thing that we help them do is work through the steps that they have in their sales and their prospecting process. So I'm going to send out these emails, I'm going to make these telephone calls and you know, that whole process of finding someone and then working them through the process. We just make that much more efficient. The benefits to them that they see is they get more done in a day. So, you know, where research typically takes sales of prospectors about 30% of their time, we can drop that down significantly. We also help them make better decisions about the way that they invest their time by prioritizing the work that comes in front of them. So they may be in the middle of a, an hour call block, but you know, if one of the people that they send an email out to responds back to that. You want to push that right in front of the salesperson right away so they can react to that. And then one of the things that I focus the most on is trying to make prospecting fun, which, you know, and a lot of people are like, really, that's like making public speaking fun, like not going to happen, <laughs> right. right? but it can be, I mean, it's very intellectually challenging. And so when the way that you can make prospecting more fun is to get more wins. And so that's what we really focus in on is how do we get more meetings for the SDRs? How do we get more quality meetings for the SDRs? And how do we help them win more often? You know, that's where we spend a lot of our time and that's where we're getting a lot of the results from our, from our clients. So you're selling to sales reps specifically. How does this make your job harder or easier? So salespeople are in some ways harder to sell to 
but then in other ways, totally easier to sell to. So the things that make it harder to sell to salespeople is they know the tricks, right? So they know like the impending event. So if someone says, Hey, we need to, you know, this pricing only lasts a certain period of time. You can't play any games right. in sales. And not, not that we would, but like they just know, they know at the end of the quarter, at the end of the month, like right now, they're going to make, you know, you're going to be trying to close out deals. So I think for them, that makes it a little bit more challenging because you have to be better at sales. The other thing is they're busy, right? So, you know, we're very respectful of salespeople and we want to be very efficient with their time, but they're busy. So they don't necessarily make themselves available. And the other thing is, depending on the dynamics of the person, they don't all love new technology. Like, you know, people have been selling before there were computers and there's a group of salespeople that are just like, look, I don't need more technology. And by the way, there's a ton already out there. And so in that, in that area, like you really have to win them over. But the, the positives um, that makes it easier to sell them is first of all, they shoot straight with you. You do a demo on them. They either love it or they hate it. So it's like a pretty quick decision, like in terms of if they love it or hate it, they make decisions fast. So like, they know what their challenges are, and if you solve one of their problems, they'll make a decision very quickly. Our entire team at KiteDesk uses our own product, so we totally sell it based on firsthand experience of using the product. So instead of saying, well, you know, here's a use case of you know, our clients, or here's how you could do something, they're literally like... Joe, here's how I use KiteDesk. Joe, this is what it did for me. And I think that adds a lot more credibility. And I think for our salespeople, it totally makes it easier for them to be 100% genuine and really dig into understanding what the client needs. And quite honestly, if we can help them, we'll tell them right away. But if we can't, we know really quickly if we can't solve a problem for them and then we can just walk away. So um, yeah, it, it, it definitely does make a difference for us. Why does sales prospecting remain such a difficult job? What is it about engaging sales prospects at the top of the funnel that's so challenging? Well, I think it's mentally tough for people. You know, most people love to hear positive things coming their way all the time. And I think that the rejection or the amount of work for the results that you get is makes it very difficult. But I think... people look at it the wrong way. Here's how I view prospecting. You miss the point if you look at the negatives of prospecting of the tremendous growth that you get as a person by going through this process. You know, prospecting pushes you mentally to be strong and to figure things out emotionally is how do I recover? You know, life isn't going to be easy for anybody unless for, you know, unless you hit the gravy train. So you should expect some level of difficulty in anything that you do in life. And so the mental component, the emotional component, and I'd say third is being super creative. Like just for somebody to get my attention over a phone call or an email takes a tremendous amount of creativity. And the people who are excellent at it, really stand above the rest when you get them. They're just, they're just a leg above. So I think that, that for anybody who's thinking about going into the world of being an SDR or BDR, you may not love the job, 
but I would bet five to 10 years from them, you'll love what it helps you, the foundation that helped you create in strength and creativity and being able to solve problems. What's an example of an email or phone call that actually made you sit up and pay attention? I'll tell you the best one that I've ever received. And I won't tell you the person's name, but she was with Gartner and she presented something to me and she's like, you think you know everything about your competitors, but 95% of our clients realize after working with Gartner that they don't. And I was stone cold quiet. That got me thinking. If you're great in sales, you should be able to get the person on, on the phone or sitting in the chair near you to just shut up and think. I'm totally impressed with that person. And I will always remember that they were able to do that. And you know, I talk about that regularly to our own sales team. How do you use metrics on your sales team to drive results? Are there specific activity or call numbers every sales rep has to hit? Or do you have a different type of workflow? For our quota-carrying salespeople, we build them out a dashboard that is literally their business plan. So every salesperson has a business plan. It has their personal goals in there. How much money do I want to make? What do my quota numbers want to be? What do I want my deal sizes to be? All of those things. And we build out a dashboard for them to make them pretty much mini entrepreneurs so they can run their own business. They have all the drivers. And anytime they want additional pieces of information on how to run their business, we try to get it to them because we want them to be empowered to be able to make their own decision. Then when it comes to our SDR team, we do track things like calls and emails and things like that, but that's not really what we focus on in terms of the measurements. We try to measure the the value that the receiver gets from the emails that we send out. And the way that we do that is keep track of the positive responses we get back from emails that we send out when someone says, hey, you know what? This really was insightful. Thank you very much for sending it. Now it's time for a new segment called Top 3, where our guests share their top three metrics for business growth. We look at it in segments. So under our product, we look at our net promoter score to see if our product is delivering. And you know, our thought on that is if our if people love our product, they love what we're doing, they'll continue to buy from us and they'll continue to, to talk to others. So that's the first one. Under service, we actually look at our service as a percentage of our revenue because we do a lot with our clients very closely. So we look at how much revenue we get from our services group um, and then also online reviews for them. So I've already given you three, but in, on the sales side, we look really strongly at our team's ability to hit their monthly forecast very specifically. And also in addition to that, the days that they have in each pipeline cycle, because what we're trying to do is if they understand how long it takes them to move through each pipeline cycle, their close ratio, time to close, all those other things, then it should help them get better at forecasting month after month. Sean said that he does see a lot of growth in the field of SaaS technology, specifically for sales reps, simply because the role of sales has changed so much. To some extent, I'd say yes, that we see the teams are looking to increase their productivity. You know, I hear terms like sales acceleration as a term that's being thrown around. But I really think if you peel back the onion, what they're really doing is buying technology to help them 
adjust to, react to, and be proactive in the modern sales era. A lot of the sales technology that existed before the, you know, the last three or four years was built on the old way of selling. And I'm calling the era that we're in right now the age of sales enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's the first time I've used this publicly. We, right. we talked a lot about it internally. But you know, if you think about a role in sales right now, you need to be a mini marketer. You need to be a consultant. You need to be the CEO of your own business. You have to be a creative director in how you word things and add value to people. And you have to be a warrior. You know, you have to go out there and fight the good fight every day. So in our world, we view salespeople as heroes within an organization. And right now, the previous versions of sales technology was built for the old war that they were fighting. The war has changed, the, the the game has changed, and there's a whole host of new technologies that are coming out. So yeah, absolutely. It's funny, I'll tell you a quick story. I met with a venture capital firm when I was in San Francisco, and what the gentleman said to me is like, we see a ton of greenfield in the sales technology space, and here's why. We've yet to see an RFP go out related to sales technology in, in your space and sales acceleration, et cetera. And he's like, and that's usually an early warning sign that it's a, becoming a mature market. <laughs> so yeah, so we see a ton of growth in the, in the future. Now it's time for risky business. What's the most dangerous thing that Sean's ever done? He'll never guess. Yeah, so I am a listener and I love the podcast myself <laughs> and I knew exactly what I would say when you'd ask me this. So the first thing I want to share is I didn't realize it was dangerous when I did it. Okay. But when I was living in Chicago, I had finished lunch with my head of sales at the time and we were walking down the street and I heard this tremendously loud screaming, like, just like it's an awful sound. And there was a woman and I'm like, what is going on? This is like, it, it was kind of scary. And I looked across the street and there was an, an, older woman holding onto her purse with a gentleman who was at least twice her size, ripping it out of like he was a purse snatcher. He was stealing a purse. Mm -hmm. And literally I did not even look. I ran right across the street in front of cars. Like I didn't even think about it. Like it just was like one of those fight or flight instincts. And I ran after the guy and I jumped him. And held his, I mean, it's, it's, it held his head on a bumper of a truck. And like, I couldn't believe it. It just happened. My buddy was just like, oh my God, that just happened. But the thing that, I mean, that part was dangerous running in front of the, the, the cars and then holding the person down. But what I came to find was really dangerous about it was this had attracted a crowd of people around us. And a gentleman came over to me and I, I said, hey, look, I'm, my heart's racing a thousand miles an hour. I'm holding this guy down until the police come. Is there any way you can help? And he's like, look, I'm actually, uh, I'm an off-duty cop right now. I'm going to take your place. And I said, oh, I really appreciate it. He's like, I'm not taking your place for the reason why you think I'm going to take your place. And I'm like, why is that? And he's like, if this guy finds anything out about you, the guy who just robbed this woman, he'll sue you for tackling him and, you know, stopping this. I'm like, really? That's where we're at right now. Like this guy's stealing a purse mm. and I stop it. 
And if he finds out who I am, he's going to sue me. So I'm like, oh, thank you very much. I walked away. But like, but it was really kind of a sad state of affairs that when someone's trying to help somebody else out, the person that who was impacted by it, the, the purse snatcher, would actually go through the process of suing. He's like, look, I, I see it happen all the time. So I guess lesson learned. It's never happened to me again, but I think I'd probably do the same thing. Another like interesting caveat on that. I never even got to see the woman. Oh, really? You didn't talk no. to her? No, because what ha- it happened really, really quick. Yeah. And um, it's like, I don't know if you've ever been in a car accident, but things happen so fast. You don't even remember like what what transpired even after you, you, it has happened. But she was busy collecting all the things that had fallen out of her purse. Mm. And by the time this is all done, I was gone. And so, like, she, she I mean, I, I'm sure she probably came over to the scene and did something like that. But I never even met her. That's crazy. So she shouldn't even get to thank you for helping her. No, no, she did not. But I'm sure she was. I, I hope she was thankful. I'm sure she was. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more about Sean Burke and Kite Desk, visit www.kitedesk.com. And now it's time for some listener mail. Listener Zach wrote in, I work remotely in a wonderful environment and travel once a week for a couple of days into the city. Ramp gets me in the zone. I've listened to a number of episodes over and over again. That's so cool to hear, Zach. Our goal is to be a part of your commute and help you get pumped to start your day. So glad to hear we're succeeding. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I'll see you again in two weeks for more data-driven insights.